So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, batteries are becoming essential for home solar systems, both for providing backup power, but also to save a lot of extra money depending on the rate plane you're on. Now, we're always going to have the need for backup power, and that need is increasing with all the blackouts and the storms and the overloads on the grid. But the newest reason why you need batteries is to save money on your electric bill. Many time-of-use rates have very high afternoon and evening rates, and in order to avoid that, you can charge your battery up during the day and use the energy in your battery at night. And what's going to happen in California coming up starting in April, um, all, almost all new solar systems are going to need a battery because the net metering is effectively going away and uh, you're going to want to be able to uh, profit and save that energy you're generating during the day instead of sending it back to the utility for a couple of pennies. So starting in about 2015, 2016, lithium ion batteries became really popular for home use. That opened up an opportunity for, for companies like SolarEdge to sell batteries with their solar inverters. Um, SolarEdge is the leading inverter company in the world, and they have their own SolarEdge 10 kilowatt hour battery. It's called the home battery. And they also have LG. They are, they're also compatible with LG batteries. My guest on this week's show is Magnus Asbo. Now, I've known Magnus for almost 15 years, but it sounds like a long time. First, when he was at Enphase, when we worked together on the first AC module, and now at SolarEdge, where Magnus is the Senior Director of Technical Marketing. Magnus has an electrical engineering degree from UC Santa Barbara. He also has an MBA from the Haas School of Business. And I also found out today that he's also interested in tube amplifiers, just like me. So welcome to the show, Magnus. That's a pleasure to be here, Barry. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Well, let's just kind of dive right in and start talking about what we've learned installing home batteries since 2001. So kind of taking a step back, customers kind of expect whole home backup, but they're oblivious to the kilowatt, the power, and the kilowatt hour, the energy limitations of systems. So what, what do these limitations mean in the real world? Yeah, I mean, first of all, backing up very slightly, um, homeowners really don't know what a kilowatt hour is or what a kilowatt is. So, you know, explaining things to them in those terms is uh, difficult at best. Uh, and so it is much more a matter of, of just meeting their expectations. Hey, the, ha the house is going to back itself up, or I'm going to be able to squeeze every nickel out of my, uh, my time of use rate. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about hours and, uh, uh, and dollars and cents. Uh, in terms of the limitations, there are some very uh, core limitations. Obviously, there is your, uh, uh, your interconnection limitation. So, for instance, uh, very often the utility will require that you not go beyond a, uh, a certain amount of, uh, uh, of sizing based on how much you consume. Uh, you also have kilowatt uh, uh, limitations for how much you can put into a, uh, into a panel. Uh, we all know that as the, uh, the 120% rule. So you have to really make sure that you're not oversizing your inverter for the, uh, for the panel that you're loading onto. This really speaks to some key limitations that, uh, uh, that are met by uh, technologies like DC coupling, where you might be putting uh, 
uh, both battery and uh, the uh, the PV onto a single circuit breaker with a single feed, rather than having separated feeds for the battery and the, the inverter. You can literally install a, a larger system using the uh, uh, using the same uh, uh, interconnect breaker, and that's that's very important for folks. So being aware of those uh, interconnection limitations is is fairly key uh, in terms of the kilowatts hours. There are some practical limitations uh, uh, in terms of how large the systems can be, but also the fact that they're they usually come in discrete chunks. Uh, we happen to provide a 10 kilowatt hour battery, so there's going to be choices of 10 or 20 or 30. Uh, at a certain point, uh, depending on where you live, there are there are limitations. So, for instance, in Massachusetts, at a certain point, you're going to have to put it, put in additional uh, fire protection if you mount indoors. So, those sorts of limitations around the amount of energy stored uh, need to be uh, kept in mind when you're when you're designing systems for these applications yeah so, so you kind of touched on an interesting point the the dc coupled where you you're you're connected both to the pv and to the battery or ac coupled where you're you're always just connected right to the electrical panel and with dc coupled you get higher efficiency too so that's that's a nice advantage with battery systems with with, with the solar ridge design yeah that's absolutely right one really nice uh, uh feature of that is that um you may have a larger PV system than your inverter could uh, process in any given moment. And any excess energy, if you're on the DC side, that can go straight to the battery. So you can actually uh, literally saturate your inverter with full power and charge the battery at the same time without any limitation. So, for example, if you have a 7.6 kilowatt inverter, which is the one that we most commonly install, and you have an 11 kilowatt array, normally that extra you know, whatever it is, you know, 3.6 kilowatts would be wasted because there's nowhere that the inverter really couldn't handle it. But if you have a battery to soak up that extra power, you're really getting the maximum benefit out of everything. You're not losing anything. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. All right, that's cool. So w what can people do to overcome these kilowatt and kilowatt hour limitations? How do you kind of get around the need to provide whole home backup? When, when when one battery or one inverter isn't enough? Well, there are a couple of, uh, of ways of doing it. We touched on one of them, obviously, which is to make sure that you're, uh, you're optimizing the amount of energy that you'll really be able to get, uh, uh, get out of the system. But if you're, uh, once you've addressed that, a couple of things uh, should be taken into account. One of which is that the loads that you're managing inside of the house, the most important loads are not necessarily going to be the ones that consume the most amount of energies. A very obvious one would be pool pump. You know, you don't need to absolutely run the pool pump every time your house goes off grid. In fact, that's an excellent time to turn off a pool pump. And you can deal with that a couple of different ways. Certainly one way that, uh, uh, that I think many of us are accustomed to is you simply don't move a, uh, a high load like that onto uh, a backup load panel. And you can, that way, when you're in backup, you're not running the pool pump, you're not running your, uh, uh, your, your, your hot tub, a uh, couple of other things. And that's been very effective. There are a couple of other methods, one of which we were dis discussing a little bit before the beginning of the show, which was, uh, which was load management. So you could configure a home to be fully backed up, but then you could select certain loads that in the event of a, uh, a backup event get turned off. Uh, and so there are uh, various vendors who provide equipment that will do that. We uh, have large, launched our smart home uh, initiative, which includes uh, a, uh, uh, a device that will allow you to switch off those, those uh, um, unneeded loads. So speaking of that, do you have an uh, example of that? We were just kind of talking about that before. Yeah, I, I happen to bring this along. So this is, a, uh, um, uh, this is our our uh, smart load manager. So uh, uh, essentially we have a, uh, a device that's connected back to our uh, home hub inverter. It's connected over a, a wireless mesh. And what will happen is that once the home hub inverter knows that uh, uh, 
knows that it's off grid, it'll send a signal to this saying, this is not a good time to run pull pump or whatever. And this will send out a signal to uh, um, a high power contactor, uh, which will disconnect that, uh, that high power load. Um, in a lot of cases though, you might have a load which is, uh, um, uh, which you might want and you might not want. It's a maybe, so an air conditioner is, is a good example of that. So, you know, during the hottest times of year, you may say, hey, we're in backup, but it's really important that I be able to turn on the air conditioner, in which case the homeowner can go to uh, the MySolarEdge application, can push a button, this one, that'll get to uh, this device, it'll uh, uh, turn back on the air conditioner, and away you go. Uh, and then uh, when the whole system comes back online, uh, you get the grid back, then uh, again, we'll send a signal saying, uh, uh, turn that load back on. Um, incidentally, uh, devices like this will be very useful as we move into an M3.0 situation where there are certain times of year where energy is exceptionally valuable. And the, the homeowner may say, I don't need to run the air conditioner. I don't need to run any of these things during these particular hours when energy is so valuable. Uh, and we will set up our scheduling in order to, uh, to enable that as well. And, and I remember when I had kids, uh, when they were young, um, I would like to have that control on the TV. So I can turn the television or the internet off so that they can do their homework instead of, although they need the internet for homework these days, but you kind of turn that off and, and manage things remotely that way. Right, right. And that, nowadays we do that with, uh, with our phones. So uh, as, the, uh, uh, as the, the master or mistress of the house, it'll be on your uh, smartphone and you can uh, uh, have some control of that. So if you wanted to uh, have control of uh, some of those energy devices uh, that the kids didn't have, then you have that option. Yep. And, and, and as an installer, when we're doing these whole home backup si systems, sometimes it's very inconvenient to run the wires back and forth throughout the house. And if we have something like that that control these loads remotely, we don't need to run a wire to it. It really, really saves a lot. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Well, that's cool. It's, we're looking forward to how that can be introduced. And, and the reason why I particularly like it from SolarEdge is it's going to be integrated with the whole SolarEdge environment on the same app with the same equipment. And um, it, things tend to work much more smoothly that way. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And that's what I think people are looking for in terms of, of applications. I, I don't know about you, Barry, but I've got a bazillion different little apps on my, my phone. I've got maybe three that are controlling things uh, in my smart home. We're really trying to collapse that down to one so that you can uh, look at your battery, you can look at your PV, you can look at your EV charging, you can look at your load management, all through one application. It's all about your energy and one place where, uh, where all of it's accessible. Yeah, yeah, no, this, and I've got a plethora of those apps too, and I've got them all in little one little section. But I keep adding those silly little things. I even have an app for the the range hood. I don't know why it has to be connected to Wi-Fi, but that's what they gave me. I don't use that one anyway. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit more about batteries and hardware. I get pitched several times a week on new lithium ion battery products, mostly coming from overseas companies. Hey, we got really cheap, great lithium ion batteries. Do you want to buy some? Um, and every single company that, that ever pitches these says, we've got a great 10 year warranty too. What are the practical limitations of warranties on batteries? Because to me, that's very important to make sure that, you know, a battery that you put in, you want that thing to last. It may not last the 25 years of the solar panels, but uh, they should last 10 years. Sure. And I think we're all familiar with the fact that battery chemistry does degrade over time. Uh, that, that, that's true of, uh, of your, your little alkaline cells that you have in uh, uh, your devices at home. And it's true of lithium ion. It's true of, uh, uh, true of cars. What you want, however, is a, uh, um, is a battery that's composed of cells uh, that, is, that is optimized so that it, it uh, does not degrade uh, excessively over time. 
uh, and uh, more to the point that you're going to be able to access uh, the benefits of the warranty regardless of how it's being used. So uh, what you will often find in warranties for, for batteries is that, is that it'll say that it's uh, good for 10 years. Uh, at the end of that 10 years, uh, uh, there should be 70% uh, capacity left over if and, and only if you have, uh, um, uh, you have not excessively used the batteries. So that means that you, you, there's only a certain number of charge and discharge cycles allowed. Um, in the case of our battery, we are very confident and comfortable with the, uh, with the cells that were used and the, uh, uh, and the chemistry that we've put into them. Uh, so we are essentially running a 10-year warranty, but, uh, but with no limitation on the, uh, the energy throughput. So there's, well, that, there's no energy clock, if you right, wish. Right, that, and that's going to be really important. When we go into net metering three here in California, really for batteries anywhere around the country, you want to make sure that you can cycle that battery the way you want for the duration of the, the warranty. So, you know, that's 3,650 cycles and that, that's a lot. And that's one of the reasons why lithium ion batteries are so great. They can deep cycle that way as that's opposed right. to lead acid battery, which, you know, we all know that car batteries, you're lucky to get five years out of those. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, now, the other part of the warranty, there's, there's the terms of the warranty and companies can print up a really nice warranty. But the warranty is only good as the as good as the financial backing of the company. So that's that's an area in which Solar Edge and just very few other companies have the balance sheet and stability to make sure that they're going to be around in ten years and able to handle warranty claims. Yeah, that's that's absolutely so. And I I uh, there are several you know good vendors in the uh, in this business. As you mentioned, Barry, there are several vendors that are coming, and I think we came back from RE Plus back in September, and there were, you know, rows of uh, of vendors who are attempting to enter the marketplace. The vast majority of those are not going to be around in a year or two, uh, and uh, you know, the uh, there is a great deal of uh, um, uh, acumen that's required to build and maintain and certify a uh, a battery in this market so for instance designing for UL 9540A which i'm sure we'll talk about uh, is not trivial so uh, do be certain of the vendor that you're working with that they that they're not simply uh, private labeling uh, somebody else's uh, uh, chemistry and calling it good and that they actually do understand what they're what they're doing. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned acumen to get through that certification. You also need a ton of money. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that it's going to be in excess of a million dollars every time you run through one of those UL 9540A tests. Um, I don't know the exact cost of it, but the amount of effort is, is intense. Uh, literally the way that that test is done is by taking rather a lot of equipment uh, and, uh, and allowing a third party to, uh, to burn it up in a very special chamber and any different ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is very similar to the warranty issue with regards to solar panels. Solar panels have a 25-year warranty. Companies that are, that are really established, big companies, they can honor the warranty. But experienced installers, almost all of them have uh, negative experiences with solar panels from little companies, new companies, really cheap solar panels. And then there may be a problem with them in two, three years, five years. And they're gone. They're not going to honor their warranty. And that's why I really have the confidence in Solar Edge and just a very few other number of companies that are going to be around to honor that 10-year warranty. Indeed. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about managing battery systems, what homeowners need to do. Regular solar, solar panels on the roof, they don't need a lot of care and feeding. Maybe cleaning the panels every once in a while, although here in California, God's been doing a darn good job of, of cleaning that over the last uh, 
last month, but yeah, recently at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and they're they're clean now, but yeah, most in most locations, especially in areas where it doesn't rain like the west and like the south, um, you got to clean the panels a little bit. But batteries require a lot more care and feeding. Um, you have to pay attention to the monitoring. They have to understand how the batteries are working. What what are what do you see the monitoring needs are for battery systems? Well, the, uh, the main thing that you need to be aware of is, uh, is how it's performing. Um, and uh, as a homeowner, uh, people should understand that, uh, um, uh, that if they go into a backup situation, they would prefer that the system be fully charged, right? That, uh, uh, you know, it would be uh, problematic if at, uh, uh, at 8 o'clock at night the, uh, uh, the grid is lost uh, and you don't have um, uh, don't have any energy in the battery, so you you want to you want to make sure that the homeowner is is thinking a little bit about uh, about that. Um, there are a couple of ways of uh, of, uh, of of thinking about that. So, for instance, here in the uh, in the West, where you have uh, public safety power shutdown events, uh, the homeowner may be in, informed that something is coming, and they can uh, uh, then change the uh, the setting for the for the precharge of their battery. Um, on the solar edge side, we happen to do that for you. So we will get a uh, an alert that says that uh, um, there is a either a weather event coming if you're in a place where weather is a, an issue, or there's a, a PSPS event uh, here. And uh, uh, with the homeowner's permission, we'll then you know make sure that the battery is at its is at its maximum state of charge. Um, beyond that, the uh, the homeowner should be uh, uh, be aware of how much uh, power their uh, their devices are consuming and whether and to the extent that the uh, uh, the battery is able to meet them so again thinking specifically about uh, about backup uh, I, I, you know I mentioned that there are a couple of devices that you might want to that you might want to shed if the homeowner says I don't want to shed those devices I want to have them available all the time they should at least know that that's uh, that that's something that they can turn off and that depending on how they use their energy they're actually going to get uh, get less of that time available to them yeah um, yeah, so the communications for battery systems are just so important. I mean, ordinary solar, you didn't need to have, you didn't need the internet connection. It would basically work as long as you got that green light on the inverter. But but all of the reporting, all of the connections to the Solar Edge app, the features, is it called Storm Stormwatch? WeatherGuard? I forgot. Yeah, what, uh, WeatherGuard. WeatherGuard yeah. So you've got WeatherGuard, and, and that... You can go onto your phone with the SolarEdge app and say activate WeatherGuard, and then SolarEdge will automatically charge your battery up in advance of a, an anticipated event. And then, really, what happened to us over the last month or so? We had a lot of really big storms and a lot of blackouts. And not only can customers rely on SolarEdge to change it, but on the app they can also adjust the minimum battery state of charge, which would you know, what I did on my house is I kept the batteries charged up to 100% until the weather cleared. Just and, in case. and you need you need good communications to do that. We had two customers, and we've got you know, close to 1,000 battery customers, but two customers that kind of let their communications lapse. They didn't um, renew their, their cellular service. And they didn't know that their battery was not properly operating, and they couldn't control it because they didn't have an internet connection to it. So that, that's it. the communications is really, really important with these systems. That's right. So when it comes to installing batteries, I, I experienced this back in 2001, 2002, that, that the level of complexity of a battery system is much higher than a simple solar system, which at the time I just had to pull two wires down from the roof. But now with a battery system, especially when you're wiring up essential loads, it's kind of complicated. What are the skill differences needed for ordinary solar installation compared to a 
battery storage installation that's going to require essential loads or whole home backup? Um, I'd sort of break it down into uh, three stages. Um, the first of which, and probably the most important one, is is the part where you're actually working with the homeowner and setting expectations properly. I, I can't tell you the number of times that we've heard of homeowners who were sold one thing and then it turns out that that's not actually um, a realistic expectation. So uh, so that, that's the first part. So it's kind of all levels need to be trained, but we want to focus here on the electrical side. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, having gone beyond that, the design the design side of this is uh, um, uh, is is more complex. Obviously, the uh, um, the chance uh, of uh, needing a main panel upgrade is is higher. So you need to be aware of that. Um, in our case, as I said, because it's DC coupled, it's less likely that you're going to need a main panel upgrade. But you need to be more uh, uh, studiously aware because literally the whole house is going to be powered by the system. It's not just uh, uh, supplementing the grid. It's 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 everything. Um, in terms of the, uh, the actual installation, um, being able to put loads into, uh, onto a backup panel, uh, is a substantial amount of electrical work. Uh, so, uh, oftentimes the electricians who are accustomed to doing, uh, PV installation only, uh, they get very used to working around a kind of a limited set of, uh, um, of challenges, and they're going to have to open their minds a little bit when it comes to time to put in a, uh, a backup system, because especially here in California, where we have uh, combined meter mains, they're going to be uh, relocating uh, circuit breakers to another panel um, if they're not doing a, uh, a complete panel replacement, uh, and they, they're, they're going to have to be comfortable with the amount of time that that takes. And, you know, it's, uh, it's generally uh, a, a substantial portion of a, of, of a day to do that, 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 uh, that relocation of those, uh, uh, those breakers and doing that wiring. And that's kind of irre irregardless of, uh, which vendor you're working with. It's just part of the, uh, uh, part of the, uh, the work that's required in order to put a, uh, a system into backup. Um, besides that, uh, the, uh, you know, there are additional devices that are, uh, that are required, uh, we try to make it as simple as possible. The, our primary additional device besides the inverter and the, uh, the battery is a, uh, what we call the backup interface, which is a, uh, a kind of a packaging of the, uh, the transfer switch and, uh, uh, and some additional controls. So at any rate, there's usually another box that's going to have to be wired above and beyond uh, the, uh, uh, the inverter and the battery itself. Um, in our case, the nice thing is that the uh, since the battery is on the DC wire, it's just uh, some PV wire between the inverter and the uh, uh, and the battery. But on an AC coupled system, you need to be aware that you've got some AC wiring to do some additional circuit breakers to land. Yeah, it's it's um it was a, a challenge for us in 2015 2016 when we started doing battery installations because the skill level of our residential solar installers, they weren't really experienced with kind of opening up a main panel, completely redirecting the right. feeds and, and really working with, with that level of wire or, or even uh, doing panel upgrades. And we found that we really needed to hire electricians to do this, people that uh, experienced residential electricians that knew how to do panel upgrades and knew how to do wiring and knew how to chase down, you know, shared neutral wires and things like that. That made a big difference. And then the other, the other, Shouldn't be a surprise, but it was just a reality is we would hire residential electricians, but sometimes they weren't really super comfortable with doing all the configuration work mm -hmm. and, 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 and the, the, um, 
the wiring that was needed for that, the Ethernet wiring, the connectors, making sure all the communications were working, really getting everything configured. And and that was um, even regular electricians are going to need that level of training. So it's a little tricky. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great point. You sure you know the the person who's doing this work is uh, not just uh, uh, bending conduit and running. Uh, um, running eight gauge wire, but they're also have to do uh, some IT work, uh, you know, working with a uh, uh, 26 gauge uh, uh, wire oftentimes. Um, I, I should say that uh, uh, the, the solar edge system, we've tried to remove as much of that as we can. So the connection between, uh, for instance, the inverter and the, uh, uh, and the battery is, is a wireless mesh. Uh, so it should be much more like trying to pair a, uh, a pair of uh, Bluetooth headphones than it is uh, uh, trying to, to wire something in your uh, router closet. But be that as it may, there is certainly the, uh, um, it usually falls on the person who's doing the wiring to also do the, uh, uh, do the configuration. Uh, and that, that means that they have to have a, uh, a reasonable head on their shoulders and know what they're doing. Yeah, they got, they got to have some IT experience. They, they have to be able to fiddle with this tiny little 24 gauge wire. It's, it's, it's a little different. All right. So, um, with, with these batteries, where are customers mostly installing them? And, and I'd like to talk about the differences between, say, California and other, other states around the country. Sure, absolutely. Um, they are being installed both both indoors and outdoors. Um, it's a, uh, uh, there are certain very specific restrictions about where you can install them and how close uh, to, uh, to each other and, uh, and so on. And that varies a little bit state to state. Um, however, uh, uh, the rule of the land is primarily coming to uh, a standard called UL 9540A, uh, which essentially, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, is, is uh, looking at what's the behavior of a battery if, uh, uh, if there is some sort of a thermal event. Um, and uh, under that, if you're installing indoors, how close can you put them together? Uh, in, in our case, we've, uh, we, we went through that with flying colors. So you can put them six inches uh, apart from each other in, in, in a great many uh, spaces. But there are restrictions around uh, uh, the amount of free air. Uh, you can't simply drop a, uh, um, a battery of any kind into a, a small closet. You need a certain um, uh, amount of free air around it if you're going to install it indoors. Um, but uh, uh, some people do prefer to have it indoors because it's a, a cleaner look, for instance, to have it inside of the garage. Um, on the East Coast, battery chemistry is susceptible to, to temperature. The, the colder it goes, the, uh, the slower it moves. Um, so uh, a lot of times uh, in, the, uh, in East Coast environments, there is a desire to, uh, um, to put it in a uh, uh, kind of a semi-conditioned room, a, a garage or a basement or something like that. And so being able to do that is useful. Um, having said that, if it's possible to install... Uh, uh, out of doors, a lot of installers do prefer that it's better access. You know, essentially, you're running the uh, uh, the conduit in a space where uh, uh, everybody can uh, can access it, and it's a uh, um, a more efficient installation. Um, so there there are, there are a variety of trade offs in terms of, in terms of that. You know, places like Arizona, you also have to be very uh, aware of the uh, the temperatures. Um, again, battery ke chemistry, and this is this is purely chemistry. It's not a uh, vendor thing so much. Uh, is uh, um, uh, is a bit susceptible to uh, to temperature, so you want to make sure uh, that uh, that if you are installing in uh, in Arizona and you're out of doors, you don't want to put it on the southward facing wall. You want to put it on on some place that has some shade, uh, or move it into a semi conditioned space if you can. Yeah, the the um, the UL ninety five forty A 
requirements really through a monkey wrench into our installations. Um, it originally no no jurisdiction here in Silicon Valley in California was really enforcing that, and then they basically said we're going to start requiring UL ninety five forty A if you want to put batteries closer together than three feet. So normally everything would have to be separated by three feet in every dimension. If you wanted to put it close to a window and door, if you wanted to put it in the garage or anything like that. And, and I really like solar edges leadership where they, they went through these tests, they passed them with flying colors. You can actually put the batteries close together. There's only a couple of other battery companies. I can only think of two that have passed this test that allow you to put the batteries close together and therefore maximizing the number of batteries that can be installed in, in a house. Yeah, that's right. And that's 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 harkens back to what we were uh, speaking about earlier, which is be a little careful when you're uh, when you're selecting your battery vendor. Make sure that they can actually meet these uh, these standards and any other standards that may uh, that may come up over time. I mean, yeah. We're absolutely committed to uh, uh, um, the, the 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 value of the engineering that we pull it, put into this and, and making sure that uh, uh, we're at the forefront, especially when it comes to safety standards. Yes, yeah. and 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 it's also interesting that. Batteries that you used to be able to install in a house or close by the, the the jurisdictions, the cities have said, "Hey, there's these new codes. What you did last year for a battery, you can't do this year for a battery unless they pass these tests." So your installer, everybody looking out there, make sure you pick an installer that knows the actual local rules because they vary tremendously. Yeah, and every uh, AHJ is uh, a sovereign over their territory. In addition to uh, 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 in addition to enforcing the uh, uh, the codes, they may have specific re- requirements. So having somebody local who knows what that uh, what that AHJ is uh, is looking for is is very helpful. And as you said, here in Silicon Valley, we have uh, uh, an enhanced need for UL ninety five forty A, which is not the same. For instance, up in up in the North Bay, it likely will be over time, but it is different. So an installer that does installations in, in Silicon Valley, they say, yeah, sure, we can put these batteries close together, uh, or, or, or they, they can't be close together, but in the North Bay, they can actually do that. Right now, that's right. Right now, until somebody until the jurisdictions kind of catch up. Okay. Um, so, so, um, so let's talk a little bit about how we put the batteries indoors. And you're mentioning that on the East Coast, sometimes they go in garages. That's There's some requirements there. But gee, I, I just shudder to think how I would have put batteries on the old houses I had in New Jersey in the basement because they're kind of big. Um, yeah, I mean, the good news there is that the, uh, the battery sizes have have shrunk substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are they are designed to be uh, to be mounted in uh, in spaces that are, are, uh, are more amenable. So they tend to be uh, fairly shallow. Um, and uh, you know, we're always fighting for uh, uh, for more space in order to, to mount these. But the, the nice thing is that the energy density, especially with the, the chemistries that we're using, is, is quite good. Uh, and uh, you're not going to generally run into trouble uh, um, uh, with, you know, simply fitting them into a, uh, a basement or into a, uh, you know, an access way in a side yard. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a subtlety there that the traditional uh, terminology of energy density is how many kilowatt hours you get in a certain volume but we also experience we're also experiencing battery density and when i talk about battery density is how many complete battery systems can you put in say a four foot square area right and that's where the spacing between batteries becomes really really important and and solar has done a really good job job with that where we can pack a lot of batteries into a small footprint right yeah, and that's that. That's right. So we've got the the six inch spacing. We've also set it up so that the uh, 
the mounting you can, if uh, in order to save wall space, for instance, you can mount one battery straight in front of the other. We've got a, a floor mount system that allows that. So you can actually have, um, you know, 40 kilowatt hours of, uh, um, uh, of battery ag- across a, uh, a four foot wide uh, stretch of wall. It simply comes out a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of the key to batteries right now, as far as installing multiple batteries is available wall space, available wall space away from a gas meter, away from windows, away from doors. And even you know, a big house sometimes only has room for one or two batteries. And if people need more, you really need that extra spacing that, that passing 9540A with flying colors really, really helps with. Yeah. That's, that's great. All right. Um, all right. Well, we talk about hardware a lot, and it's easy to talk about the hardware because that's what people see. That's what they're buying. That's what comes in a box. But we all know that software and, and firmware runs these systems. How important is software? with the battery systems compared to ordinary solar? And what is SolarEdge doing with regards to improvements in, in control software? Um, yeah, the control software is, uh, um, is critical. Uh, there have been, you know, certainly just, just at the very simplest uh, uh, level, working with time of use uh, means that you need to have awareness of what time of day it is, you know, what are the, uh, um, what are the, uh, the tariffs, uh, is this a good time to charge the battery? Is this a good time to discharge the battery? Is this t- a good time to 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 hold? Um, so I, I'm working on a poker metaphor here. I can tell, but uh, <laughs> uh, you got to know when to uh, you know got to know when to hold your energy and when to give it back. Um, that control is uh, uh, is generally uh, done in terms of a schedule, but it also does require awareness of of the load and being able to say something like, "This is a time where the best use of my energy is to." Use, use it to power the house, but not export it to the grid uh, because my export rate is different than my import rate. So that you need to be able to monitor that. Um, we, we have a series of, uh, um, of current transformers that allow us to measure how much energy is going in and out of the house uh, and, and be able to just sort of net it out. There are other times, however, where the value of exported energy, especially under NEM 3.0, uh, is going to be exceptionally valuable. And that is a time to say something like, turn off everything, export every watt hour that you have available in order to, uh, in order to maximize the payback to the, uh, to the homeowner. Uh, and then there are other times where uh, uh, the, the rule of the game is take every watt hour that you possibly can and, um, and store it. Don't, don't export anything. Don't send it to the house. Put it, put it away. Uh, we need that. And it's worth saying that one of the real rules that we have for, for a great many subsidy programs, not least, least of which is the ITC, is that if you're going to get subsidies for a battery, it has to be charged from the PV system. You can't simply sit there uh, um, uh, charging it off of the grid um, uh, when, when energy is cheap and then exporting it again when, when energy is expensive uh, and expect the, uh, the government to, uh, to give you uh, a boost. So really, you need to have control systems that manage that energy on multiple dimensions uh, and, in order and, to achieve that. Yeah, and the, let's talk about you know, software works on hardware. I'm just thinking, how many different components in a system does SolarEdge's software and firmware have to operate with? The primary uh, um, uh, control is done through the home hub inverter. So that's, if you wish, that's, that's kind of the center of it. And then uh, that's um, like the brains. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where the brains are. Uh, so there's the home hub inverter. There's obviously the battery. Um, there's our backup interface, which keeps awareness of, uh, of whether the grid is present or not. Uh, and uh, also we'll do the measurements. 
Um, so those are the the three the three primary devices in in addition to what's on the roof. Um, what we're adding is a series of uh, uh, smart energy controls, and and we've talked about the uh, uh, the load controller. Uh, so that we expect to be uh, a fairly popular item. Again, we see a big need for this as we get into NEM 3.0. Uh, we also provide uh, um, EV chargers, and they they that that that. That's a really nice uh, uh, device to think about, just in terms of managing energy. The uh, um, you know, as everybody moves into EVs, um, you know, we know that the grid is going to be more stressed as we try to uh, uh, charge them. We all get home at the same time, and we all want our uh, our cars ready to go. Uh, so it's very nice in order to be able to have uh, the EV charger be aware of how much energy is available in the house, what the consumption is. Is this a good time to charge the car? How much are we charged? How fast are we charging the car? Having all that uh, in the ecosystem helps. So we, we also have the uh, the EV uh, charger in that uh, in that mix as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of third party hardware or part actually it's not third party hardware that you manufactured over which you maintain control of the hardware and the software. But then you also have different desktop operating systems, different cell phones. So everything also has to work on people's IT equipment, and um, you know we find it challenging. Um, when when we have a situation where there's multiple vendors supplying components to a battery system, the complexity and the reliability g- gets worse exponentially. Uh, and and so I'm really glad to see that Solar Edge has integrated everything like this in their own ecosystem. Makes a big difference. All right. Well, we talked a lot about the batteries, hardware, software. Um, I'm just kind of curious. You know, we're going back almost 15 years, but yeah, how yeah. did you get into the solar business? Oh gosh, I always wanted to be in the solar business. To to to, uh, to tell you the truth, I remember graduating from uh, uh, um, from UC Santa Barbara and going and visiting uh, a very early. Uh, it's almost embarrassing to say how early a uh, a PV system system and having an inverter uh, uh, explained to me, and I I really wanted to get into that. As I mentioned, I I ended up going a, a different route and good at getting into semiconductor capital equipment. But uh, you know, as I went through uh, through my career, I really wanted to get back to that, so that I, I knew that I was kind of applying what 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 limited talents I had to something that that I cared about. So I was delighted when in two thousand nine I had the uh, the opportunity to leave uh, telecommunications and uh, uh, and get into uh, power electronics and in uh, 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 solar. So uh, that's that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with me. I got my, you know, my clock goes back a little bit earlier than that. But um, I always had thought about the elegance of having just two wires coming down from the roof and generating all the power you need. That was great because at the time I was in the solar thermal business and we had copper pipes running, you know, cooled, uh, coolant up and down and it was complicated. Pumps, things broke and uh, solar is just tremendously more uh, elegant and reliable. So this this is definitely the the power source of the future. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you're welcome to get in touch with uh, uh, with Solar Edge. Um, so uh, you know our website is a great place to call. Uh, so there's uh, there's a connection there, um, and uh, uh, you're certainly welcome to uh, if if you want to uh, contact me directly. Uh, so I'm at uh, you know magnus.asbo@solaredge.com. You're you're welcome to drop me an email. Um, but uh, we have a, uh, a full team here in, in Silicon Valley, uh, here in Milpitas, uh, and uh, the, everybody there is willing to uh, uh, provide support. Our support center is in, uh, in Roseville, just out of Sacramento. 
uh, and those fine folks are, uh, you know, manning the calls. Thank you very much, Magnus, for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners and viewers for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at www.cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast and videos. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry.